0: Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Our topic this week is money matters, and I decided to use the homonym here because money does matter, and there is the matter of our money. And we're going to take a look at just how our wealth, or lack thereof, matters to God and what God says about how we are to deal with our financial affairs, rich or poor. And God's Word has a great deal to say about money and the effects it can and does have on our lives. Again, whether rich or poor, finances are not something to deal with frivolously according to God. So how are you doing with your financial state of affairs? Are you loaded, more money than you know what to do with? Are you in the middle to upper class or middle class or low income or perhaps no income bracket at all? And regardless of which financial category you fall into, God is holding each one of us accountable for every penny we have. Something quite amazing about money is the fact that if you have a lot, you likely want more. And if you have virtually nothing, you likely want more. And both the poor and the rich are rarely ever satisfied with what they have. But all have the same goal. More, more, more. Now let's look at a number of passages with these things in mind, and see what God has to say about the rich and the poor, and how we all are to be good stewards of what we do have, whether a lot or a little. We are also going to clear up a few myths about money that we are regularly misrepresenting from God's Word. So let's start here and take a look at 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And unfortunately, I often hear this misquoted in the form of, quote, for the love of money is the root of all evil. This is very important to clear up right away since the twisting of the word here completely changes the perspective of people that have money and are labeled as not God-honoring. And it also provides opportunity for poor people to gloat about how poor they are and because of this, they are so God-honoring. Notice it says a root, not the root, and it does not say all evil, but rather all kinds of evil. It should be noted that God's word never says there is anything wrong with being rich. In fact, there are many in the Bible who are rich and God does not have an issue with them until the money becomes the love of their life. As with most discussions from God's Word, we are not going to be able to cover half of what God has to say about money in just one message, but I hope to give you a very broad overview of the most questioned aspects of money. As always, you need to read God's Word for yourself and learn more every day. Let's now look at Hebrews 13.5 for more clarity. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And this speaks directly to the rich, the poor, and everyone in between, and all across the world. God is telling us to keep money from becoming our God. Unfortunately, this passage, too, is also often read and misunderstood in the context of people who have lots of money. However, this passage applies equally to those who have very little money and are always hungering for more and those who have a lot and hunger for more. In both scenarios, it is the money that becomes the God, the focus of our existence and the means to our supposed happiness. There is a little saying, money can't buy happiness. And quite a few people have rebuked that when I speak on money from God's word, the most common response is, well, that's not true, because if you have a lot of money, or at least enough to do things without having to worry about it, then you stay in a good mood and there's your happiness. And while that might sound legitimate at first, it is not at all reality for the one that has all the money to supposedly do what they want when they want to do it. Don't forget, those with money worry about their money just like those with little money. Those with money often get very bent out of shape, spending it in fear of losing it and stress as to how they can get more. Yes, money matters are just stressful when we have it as our God. In this we see that God is indeed telling us that we need to be very careful, rich or poor, not to have any other gods before him, and money is the number one God we most often worship. Isn't it interesting that it is primarily our money that God asks us to part with over any other thing in our lives? And this is precisely because money is so powerful to us. It defines us, again, it defines us as great and honorable or lowly and disrespected, by the standards of the world. And this takes us to our next passage, Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this walks us directly to Matthew 6, 19, 21. Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ask yourself, where is your treasure? Who or what is your God? Where is your main bank account? Again, even if you don't have a bank account and no paycheck to deposit, you can still have treasure. Treasure beyond worth of all the money in the world. We see very clearly again, rich or poor, God is not interested in the value of your money. He is, however, interested in the value of your focus, the focus of your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? If your heart is focused on money, then your treasure is earthly and will come to an end. If your heart is on God, then you have endless treasure and endless wealth that will be eternal. Allow me to be the first to say that I struggle with this regularly. I struggle with this not because I don't trust that God says or because I somehow feel if I collect enough money here on Earth that I will be happy. It is, however, that I see what is in front of me and like what I see so often and desire to enjoy the frivolous, fashionable, trendy, luxurious things in life before I get to heaven. And yes, I have the underlying feeling that it will make me look better, feel better, and on a very shallow level, make me somehow happier. And none of this is a surprise to God. But this is exactly why he gives us so many warnings and so much encouragement on our finances. Our money matters, and indeed, money matters very much to God. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Notice the meat of this message. If you love money, there is no distinction between whether you have money or don't have money. It all turns out the same – vanity, fluff, uselessness – if it's a God you worship. We are forced to ask the question again, where is your heart? Who is your God? So in a world that is so focused on the disparity of wealth, it is very difficult to keep our focus on God's desire and His promises to all who trust and believe in Him for satisfaction, peace, and prosperity. In all of this so far, we see that God is not interested in the disparity of wealth but of who does and who does not have a relationship with him, true wealth, and by the one who truly provides all of the riches and resources. And we continue to get an even closer picture of that in Mark 8.36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And this indeed is a striking comment from God to everyone, rich or poor, and there is no room for questioning financial disparity in this at all. Again, it is about a relationship that makes you infinitely rich, and our proof continues further here in 1 John 2, 15, 17. Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we get to back this awesome, very clear passage up with Luke 12, 15. And Jesus said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, however, we are seeing very clearly that having money and being wealthy is also not a problem, so long as it does not, again, become a God. We see clearly that we are not to covet wealth and possessions, but it is okay to have the things. With that, let's turn and look now at what God has to say to those who are financially well-off, who are wealthy. And I use the word financially wealthy because, as we will soon see, there is financial wealth and there is eternal wealth, as we have already read earlier. But what does God say to the rich? Does God not approve of rich people? It's okay to be rich, to be wealthy, and to have nice things. But we as believers must acknowledge that true riches come only from God and that with our financial wealth we are to be ready to share and help and support. However, this does not say that just because you are wealthy that you are to just give it away either to anyone who does not have money. And I believe this is yet another topic in God's Word that is often severely misconstrued and twisted that the Christians are just to hand out money to poor people. Not at all. And we can see that here in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, let them not eat. What a contradiction from today's society when we are taught to just give everyone what they need, regardless of their circumstances. And that is not at all what God expects. Are we as believers to help the poor and needy? Absolutely, and we will get there in God's Word on doing just that. But God's Word also makes it clear that we are to find out exactly why someone is poor or needy in the passage we just read from 2 Thessalonians. This is certainly a hot topic for many, at least in the United States, when we see people begging for money at traffic lights or in the city. Just why do you randomly hand these people money? Number one reason, it makes you feel good about yourself. You feel as though you have done a good deed and that God, whoever that may be to you, is going to look down on you with favor on you and bless you. But that is not what our passage states at all. Again, God says if you do not work, you do not eat, and so all the money we throw at people will never benefit them, and that is clearly seen on a global scale today. And this derails us in our topic thus far and points us to just how we are to support those who are less fortunate and unable to make ends meet. For one, we need to see plainly that our money being handed through car windows or dropping it into a bucket walking down the city streets is not benefiting anyone. Why do I say that? Well, for one, I grew up in the most recognized metropolitan city in the world and passed by hundreds if not thousands of homeless people every year. On occasion, I read the signs that they held saying, quote, hungry, anything will help. And on several occasions, I took them up on their signs and asked them what they would like to eat and told them I would buy it for them and bring it right back. And 95% of the time, I would be yelled at and with often very colorful language of where I could go. That's right, because more often than not, these individuals did not want what they were asking for and knew that few people would take their time to go and get them food but simply drop cash for them to supposedly get it for themselves. Unfortunately, the hundreds of people that drop money at their feet to make themselves feel better was rarely spent on food, rather on that night's drug of choice to get high. So we see that if someone is poor, they will be in true need, unable to work, unable to support themselves, and not simply unwilling to work. Proof? Here it is, Proverbs 18.9. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And Proverbs 14.23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Again, this is very clear. God will not bless those who can work. If you just say you are going to do something and don't do it in hopes that someone will feel sorry for you, you will be poor. Yes, living in poverty. Not my words, God's words. Let's repeat. It is clear throughout God's word that we as believers are to give to the needy, not the lazy. And unfortunately, there are many who are begging for money who are very able-bodied to work for their living and have chosen simply not to let's look at Luke 12:33 as an example it says sell your possessions and give to the needy again the needy so are there those who simply cannot work and those who have that should help and support hundred percent yes and how do we know who those people are we take the time with them and in part give them something that is worth more than gold or silver And that is the knowledge and wisdom and security in a savior who provides an abundance in all ways. That said, does that alone get us off the hook for providing financial support? Not at all. Just because we minister to the truly poor and needy does not negate the fact that we also need to provide for their needs. So how are we to do that? Again, we need to invest in people beyond monetarily. Nowhere does God say just to throw money at people, not at all. And our primary gift and support, as I just mentioned, is to share the gospel with them and truly love them. If then they are unable to support themselves legitimately, we then provide for their basic needs. But if you are poor and just like the rich person, if all you are doing is focusing on what you do not have and do not put your trust and faith and life in Christ, how can you expect God to bless you since your idol is money? just like the rich in both cases rich or poor god demands our focus to be on him to provide for all our needs now what about for those who are rich loaded those who wouldn't even know if a few million went missing from their bank account as we have discussed god has no problem with the wealthy so long as their wealth does not in any way come between their total focus on god God does, however, make a clear distinction between rich and poor in one particular instance, and that we see in the account of the rich young ruler. Mark 10, 17 through 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do so that I may inherit eternal life? But Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus responded again and said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is a fantastic account and example for those who have plenty. Notice again, our theme keeps returning to the same thing again and again, and that of God not having any interest in the stuff we collect and store up. We are challenged again and again to give it away freely so that our investments and dividends build up where it really matters and where we really have it pay off. Don't forget, this reminder from God is an attempt to keep us aware that we can't take any of it with us. Our example in this passage we just read is also clearly showing us that it is much harder for those that have to get rid of the possessions because we treasure it and put our faith and trust in the stuff. It then goes to show us that if we get rid of what we have accumulated, we are ultimately getting rid of our identity. And what on earth would people think of us if we went from riches to rags? And this is exactly why God says, if this is how you relate to your stuff, possessions and money, then those are truly the things you worship. And we see from this account the true heart and the true God of this rich young ruler. He walked away sad and upset, and only because he knew he would have to give up his self-made God and would lose his image of material respect. I truly get this guy. His story makes a great deal of sense to me. I have spent a large portion of my life finding my identity and my wealth, my earthly junk and my money, battling what would people think of me if I lost it. How could I face the people who knew me when I was seemingly put together and prominent? But God changed my focus, and I am so grateful to give, and now I truly see that it is much better to give than to receive, as it is in the case of this ministry. And I now also realize I can give and give and give just as God is doing for me on a daily basis, primarily through His Son Jesus, and is also meeting every need far beyond my necessities still. The worry of losing is gone, and all because I have found where the true wealth is, and it is only in and through God. So what is the promise of God when the rich give and the poor give? Wait, you say the poor are to give like the rich? No, that's not what I'm saying. That is what God says. I thought this whole message was about those who had were to give to the needy. Yes, give to the needy. Remember, those who can work who need help and those who legitimately need help because they can't work but that doesn't let anyone off the hook not to give back to God for what he provided, rich or poor. Mark 12, 41, 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But this woman, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Yes. The poor are called to give as well. We are all called to give back to God. And the reason we are to give back to God a portion of what he gives to us is so that we remain fully trusting that if he provided this time, that he will continue to provide so long as we are faithful in all he gives. Let's take a look now at Philippians 4.19. And God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And whether rich or poor, if you squander however much God has blessed you with, you will come to a bitter end financially. Proverbs 3.9.10 continues, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let us close on this challenge from God. Micah 3.10 Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Incredible. Did you hear those five unthinkable words? Put me to the test, says the Lord. When have you, rich or poor, brought your full tithe to him and were the recipient of heaven's windows opening up on you, pouring down blessings on you? until you have in abundance. Luke 6.38 Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. Most gracious and giving God, You do provide an abundance for each of us when we trust in You, have faith in You, and freely give, just as You have so freely given to us and continue to give an overabundance to us. Help us, Lord, to see Your willingness to pour out these blessings in our lap when we test You in these things. Help us not to be afraid to test You as You have called us to do. Help us not to doubt You, even when we have only two pennies left, and give it all away. Forgive us, Lord, whether rich or poor, when we place our trust in what we have or don't have. Forgive us for our fear of the world and what it will think of us and putting our identity in worldly things and possessions. Forgive us of our doubts in you, Lord, that you would somehow fail us and leave us with nothing. We ask that you would give each of us a new hope and heart for you and freely give back to you that which is already yours from the beginning. And we ask this in the blessed and holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would like to support Face Your Faith, you can do that with no financial involvement whatsoever, just a few minutes of your time and right where you are. Please simply pass these messages and our website along to others, a tap, a click, a swipe, however you do it, and that's it. Face Your Faith does not need your money, but does need your involvement and support in spreading God's word. And since this is what God calls us to do anyway, why don't you take this opportunity to serve God in this way? Again, far more effective than money is liking the Face Your Faith Facebook page, giving a star rating on the page, signing up for a free podcast account on either Spotify, Apple, or Google, and giving a star rating to that as well. How does this help? It shows others who come across Face Your Faith online that others are committed to how God's Word is being presented here that others are growing and learning from these resources, and that is often how the majority will decide whether or not they will even click on the website, Facebook page, or podcast to listen. And for everyone who is part of supporting Face Your Faith already, my sincere thank you to each of you.